You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning, and again, if you are new with us today, I just want to say a really warm welcome from me. I hope you feel at home with us today. And it is my pleasure today to continue with our series, Seek First His Kingdom. We've only been two weeks into this, but already, who has enjoyed this series so far who's been here, yeah? It's been really, really good. I've really been challenged and provoked so far. In Matthew chapter 6, which is the famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus brings his teaching manifesto to his disciples, within the body of that passage, we, say, we see that Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And it would be fair to say that this idea of seek first his kingdom or the kingdom is a really anchoring idea in Jesus' ministry. It's something that he talks about a lot, this idea of the kingdom. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at this and Pastor Esther shared a couple of weeks ago that we have a choice. We're either seeking his kingdom or we're seeking something else, yeah? That idea, it's either this or that. Now, As a very proud Indian man, I feel like I need to get in on the debate about tea and coffee. Okay, okay. I would have left it, but it's all about the cup of chai, amen? I like coffee, but sorry, it has to be tea all the way. My mum would not forgive me if I went any other way either. But this idea of kingdom, this subject of the kingdom, it's a grand idea. And throughout the the Gospels, we see that Jesus gives us little windows into what the kingdom is like. And a key way of doing that is through the use of parables. And uh, last week, Pastor Martin shared with us a powerful word in relation to the parable of the miners and brought a powerful challenge to us regarding beginning with a kingdom mindset, this idea that we're training for reigning and that we're stewarding our lives for God. But there's a bigger purpose. There's a kingdom mindset behind it. And this week... We're going to continue looking at some of these foundational ideas related to seek first his kingdom. So today we're going to be focusing on this idea of nurturing a kingdom heart. Can we all say nurturing a kingdom heart? Nurturing a kingdom heart. See, when we think about the heart, I'm sure different images can come to your mind. So biologically, the heart is a major organ in the body. Yeah, we would agree with that. But biblically, the heart was more than just that. The heart was seen as like the center of a person's being, like the will and the the being of a person was seen as existing in the heart. It was more than just your biological makeup. See, the heart represents the feelings and will of a person. That's quite an extraordinary way of looking at it, isn't it, when you think about it that way? That's a grander idea of the heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows the springs of life. And I love the way that the writer there says, above all else. You know, if someone says, above all else, he means, I need your attention. Mm. I want you to hear something right now. Above all else, this is really important. It's really important that you do this. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard your heart. You see, I think the condition of the heart is really important. So therefore, we need to be careful what we allow in it because it has the ability 
to help us or motivate us and focus what our life will be centered around. If that's what it means to guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life or the spring of life, you have to guard it and say, what am I going to allow in my heart in my lifetime? Amen? That I have to say, I'm going to guard it. And if we go back again to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's important that when we think about seek versus kingdom, we really need to be searching our hearts. That's right. We need to search our hearts because whatever our heart values will determine whether we are actually prioritizing his kingdom. Are we actually having a heart that goes after the things of God or are we seeking other things? And today, we're going to look at another parable, the parable of the sower, which will help us to delve into this idea of the heart a little bit more. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15 in Luke chapter 8. We'll come up on the screen as well, and I will read it for us. And it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see, Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Wow, what a great passage. And um, you may have heard that before in Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel, and you may have heard many messages around this. But hopefully you got the overall. If I was to frame this generally for us, this parable, the key idea is this, is that the seed in this story, or the seeds, has a potential to create an amazing harvest, to create a really fruitful harvest. But hopefully you also notice this, that the way the seed is received determines what the outcome will be as well. How the seed is received is really important. You know, in life, the way that something is received can make all the difference. Yeah. 
the way we receive something, how someone receives you speaks volumes. I don't know, have you ever been to a restaurant where someone has recommended that you go there and they've said it's really, really great and you go there and it's nothing like what they said? I don't know if that's ever happened. You've gone there. And for me, it's happened on a few occasions. I've, w- I've walked in the building, and the thing that put me, put me off was the way I was received as soon as I got in. You know, welcome, a good welcome is really valuable, amen? Yeah. And you walk in, and, and you're there, and then the waiters are just walking past. And I'm there with my family, and the waitresses are walking past. And I'm like, you kind of do this. You make yourself vacant, don't you? You kind of go... I, I want a seat, I'm hungry, I want to eat, I've heard this place is good, but I don't want to tell you to get me a table because that's your job to do. So you kind of make yourself out there. And, you know, even if the food is really, really good in that place, isn't it interesting how the reception or how you were received stays with you? It completely stays with you. You see, it had the potential to be a really great combination. It had all the makings of something great, but because of the way that you were received, it just didn't work. And instead of you spreading a good report with you, a bad report might go with that. Now, I do want to say this. We've got to have grace for customer service, amen? Some people might have had a bad day, etc. But it is interesting how those things stay with you. You know, the parable of the sower reminds us that the seed has the potential for fruitfulness, but it depends on how it is received. It depends on how it is received. And I I just want to say this, before we move any further, just a couple of things from me. Firstly, the seed in this story is perfect. The word of God, the seed is absolutely perfect. The seed is magnificent. The seed represents the declared word of God, the message of the gospel. I just want to say it doesn't need any improvement. Yeah. Yeah, the word of God is flawless. That's what it says. The word of the Lord is flawless. I believe that. It doesn't need updating. It doesn't need a refund. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is supercharged, ready to do its work. Amen? That's what the word of the Lord does. It is absolutely magnificent. And what I love about this parable is how the farmer in this story, how he also shows that he's got supreme confidence in this seed, in this word. You know, you would think that a farmer, he's scattering his seed everywhere. That makes sense. But you think a good farmer would aim for the good soil. Yeah? He would go for the good soil. But what actually happens is he's just scattering it generously. And you might go, this person is a bad farmer. This is a bad sower. But actually, what I, the way I look at it is this, is that the farmer, who we would refer to probably as the father, God the father, he scatters his seed, but he's so confident that where it lands in the right place, it will still do its work and bring what it needs to bring. He's not that... It doesn't look like he's not that bothered if it goes somewhere else. He's just supremely confident that his word or the seed will do what it needs to do. You know, and it reminds me that God is so generous with his word, with his seed. He's willing to share it and spread it as far as it will go. And if different people respond differently, well, that's up to them. But it has the potential to be amazing. But he is still scattering his seed, scattering it so that people will receive it. And it makes me think as well, when I think about how confident God is with the word and the seed, imagine if we were just as confident Mm. in God's word and his seed to do the work it needs to do. Imagine what our lives would look like. Imagine if we were so convinced that God's word will produce a harvest. Imagine what it would do in us and through us. 
Imagine the type of life that we would have. Which leads me nicely to the next point, which is, if the seed is perfect, then it means the soil is not guaranteed. Right. It means the soil is not guaranteed. See, the problem isn't the seed, it's the soil. Yeah. Or the hearts of people. You know, we are all here today, and we represent many hearts. And what matters then is the seed is perfect, but the heart or the soil is not guaranteed. If I go back into this passage of the parable briefly, I want to go to the part in between where Jesus does the story of the parable, but before he explains what it means, he says this, and I think it's really significant. It reads, when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. And it sounds like that Jesus is saying, you know what, I speak in parables because I just don't want people to understand the kingdom. I just, I've revealed it to certain people, but to other people, I've hidden it. But I don't think that's what he's saying. See, Jesus actually is referring to a, a section in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And when we look at the context of that Isaiah passage, Isaiah in that, in that, in that um, passage has been commissioned by God to declare the word, to tell a message from, on behalf of God. He's there to bring it. But he's bringing it to a people whose hearts are hardened, mm. whose hearts are hardened. And so to cut a long story short, Isaiah tells us that these people cannot understand or hear the word of God because their heart's not in the right place with God. Mm. They've turned away, they've kind of abandoned God, so therefore they cannot hear what is being said. They've turned away. So their hearts are hardened, so they can't hear properly. Does that make sense? If your heart is hardened, then you're not going to hear some properly. You're like, I'm not bothered about that. Then you're not going to hear. It's not going to be received well. And I think the idea is this is that if your heart is open to the word, then you will truly hear and understand what is being said. A heart that seeks after God's word. But if your hearts are closed and hardened, then obviously you won't hear what the word is trying to say. It won't land well. If your heart is not open to it, then it won't land in the way it, it would like to. It won't be received well. And to build on this a little bit more, in Hebrew thought, hearing the word of God was an important part of life in general. I mean, it is for us as well today, but generally the Hebrew idea of hearing the word, it was so significant. It was really important. However, there was an acknowledgement that there are different ways that people can hear. You can hear in different ways. Let me try and illustrate this to you. See, my four-year-old son, he understands now a lot of what we say, which is really helpful. He understands us. And um, if you know my son, Joel, you'll know this about him. He absolutely loves toy cars, okay? His first word, this is absolutely true, wasn't mum or dad, it was car, <laughs> right? I've got it recorded. If you want to look at it, I'll show you it. The first word he said, I was like, come on, Joel, come on, Joel, car. He said car, and he absolutely loves them. And one of his favorite things to do is to accumulate cars, because people know this, so they buy it for him. They buy him many cars, and he's one of his favorite things to do is play with them and leave them wherever he's been playing with them. Basically, he scatters them all around the house. You know, we're talking about a sower that scatters seed. Well, Joel is the sower of cars that scatters them all around our house. So he's scattering these cars all around the house. And what we say to him is, Joel, listen, these cars belong over here. Can you put them back? Now, we know he's heard us. 
because he's list looking at us and he's heard us. We said, can you put these cars back? And then we go away, leave him to do it, and we come back and he hasn't done it. And we go, Joel, why haven't you done this? And the reality is this. He's heard us on one level, but on another level, he hasn't heard us, has he? Because what we're looking for is him for him to show that he's heard us by doing something. Yeah? To hear is to do something, really. Normally, that's what it is. It's to hear is to do. And so we keep asking him, can you put them away? Can you put them away? Because we want him to show us that he is listening, but we're looking for some fruit. Yeah? Of his listening. That, that he's actually done something and put the cars away. Now, in Jesus' day, to truly hear the word of God required not one just to hear the words, but hearing was linked to obeying. Hearing was about obeying the word of God as well. To hear is to do, put into practice. So when Jesus is saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, what he really means, you've heard my teaching, you've heard my word, now take it into your heart and obey it. I want you to not just hear it, but I want you to obey it and do something with it. You see, proof that you are hearing my word comes through obeying my word because then I can see that you have truly listened. Are you hearing me today, church? Literally. So in this parable, Jesus' words are a call for us today to examine ourselves as to what type of a listener are we? How do we hear the word? How do we receive it? When we hear the word of God, how do we take it in? What is it that we do with it? What type of a heart response do we have to his word? So the question is, how is your soil? How's your soil? How's the soil of your heart today? And the first thing I want to share is this. So as we go through the different elements of the soil that Jesus mentioned, I'm just going to touch on these things in different ways just to help us get an idea as to work out where am I right now? Where is my heart? But where do I need to potentially get to? What does that need to look like? So the first thing is this. The first heart that we see is a hardened heart. The path. I won't need to spend too long on this, but quite simply, this is a heart, like the path, that the word of God comes, but it just kind of hits it and bounces off. It's a heart that isn't really interested, just like Isaiah was speaking to those people whose hearts were hardened. It bounces off the hard surface. These people, or people, you would say, these hearts are closed. They have a closed mind to the word. They're not open to it. It's closed as the word never penetrates its defenses. But the key thing to remember is this, is if a heart is like this, it is extremely vulnerable to the enemy. It's vulnerable to the world and it's vulnerable to the enemy because it is completely hardened to the message of the word. The second thing is this, a troubled heart, which is the rocky soil. See, this is a heart that hears the word of God initially, but it never takes root. It never takes root. See, Jesus was probably addressing people who have a shallow faith. Right. Who have a faith that doesn't go deep. It's like, it's like even in some ways, it's hard. Like there's, there's stones in there. It's rocky, so it still gets to a hardness. There's this sense that it's a shallow faith. There's even an argument as to whether it really is a faith at all. I won't go into that now, but there is an argument towards that. See, it's this idea that whenever anything happens in my life, if something kicks off, well, then I abandon ship. 
I, ab- I abandoned faith because I wasn't expecting that. You know, I, I knew someone a, a few years ago and, um, and uh, they, they, they were going really hard after God for a season. Like they, kept, they got saved and they, and they really went after God. And then some things in their lives happened which they didn't expect. And, and, and obviously, you know, if those things are, are hard to deal with, we, we, we acknowledge that. But then they just started to disengage with church and the word and prayer. And um, I remember um, hearing a conversation with that person reflecting on why they'd stopped going to church. And they said, yeah, but I would have kept going, but I thought God would have stopped all those things from happening. So therefore, I just thought, well, you know, um, uh, what's the point? And and, and the point was this, is that when I reflected on that, I understood the response. You know, we all go through battles, yeah? Yeah. They're not easy, yeah? And they're really tough. But in those moments, rather than a shallow faith, a deep faith says... In these moments, I now need God more than ever. I need to lean into his word, not lean out. I need to lean in. But this is what the rocky soil represents. Those that lean out very quickly and go, well, sorry, this wasn't part of the plan. I'm I'm not staying around for this. Sometimes it represents people that hear things from the word that suits them. They're like, I like to hear certain things from the word that help me in, in my pursuit, in my ideas. I like the word if it tickles my ears and makes me feel good for a moment, but they avoid the deeper truth of the word when it challenges their character and challenges their faithfulness to God. I know this is quite heavy, but... <laughs> There's no substance to their faith. The third thing... Things get even better, just so you know. (laughs) A crowded heart. The thorny soil. And this represents a heart that gives the word a mixed response. There is the aspect of living a double life. The word of God grows, but other things are allowed to shoot up and grow with it. Yeah, the word of God grows, it germinates, but then other things are allowed in to germinate with it, to grow with it. And in Mark's gospel, when he does his version of the parable of the sower, I like the word that he used when he talks about some of these things that that grow up with them, like the, 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 the desires for other things, wealth, all these things. But he actually says the deceitfulness of wealth, which is an interesting term, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things choke out the word. Now, the root word in the original for deceitfulness means the delusion of wealth. Wow. The delusion of wealth. That our hearts, in a sense, are blinded by these things. This idea that we're deluded to think that if I put everything or my heart goes towards them, I'll feel significant. I'll feel successful. My life will be great because I believe that if I pursue them, they will bring me happiness. But how many of us know that's a lie? It's a delusion. You know, it's this idea that things are more important than God's word and who God is. I like the way that John Stott puts it when he describes this type of heart. He says, people like this pride themselves on keeping an open mind, so open that they can keep nothing in or out. (laughs) There is a profusion in their heart. In the end, business, pleasure, and wealth like thorns choke their spiritual life. They can't discern between what is worldly and what is godly. Mm. They can't discern. Still love me. (laughs) Probably in all of our lives, 
we can see some of this at some level, or we have seen some of this on some level. But even I, and I admit here, before you all, as my friends, I need to pay attention to this because it's so easy for discontentment or to want to run after other things to cloud my heart and to want to take me away from seeking first God's kingdom and seeking his ways. I have to check my heart on this a number of times. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was in the gym and I was doing my workout, you know, benching 150, not really. Wow. I was doing my workout and there were these two guys in this area next to me. And uh, you know how it is, you overhear conversations if you're in the same area. Some people call it nosy, I call it you can't help it. And um, I was there and they looked about the same age as me and I was just there with them and they were doing their thing. And then I overheard their conversation and the one said to the other, they, these, were, uh, these were clearly friends, he said, oh, I upgraded my car the other day. He said, I, I upgraded my BMW to the new BM, BMW 3 Series. And the other guy said to him, oh, that's great. I did mine last week. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, that's really nice for them. You know, they, they can afford great things. Bless them. They must have good jobs, etc. whatever. And then I didn't think about it. And then I started walking out of the gym. And then I had this thought in my head. And I remember thinking, I would look amazing in a BMW 3 Series. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I would have the time of my life if I had a BMW 3 Series. And I started to imagine what it might look like in my mind. I started to imagine what it might look like. <laughs> you know? Looks good, John. Yeah, I know. I look good, don't I? I told you I look good in them. You know, the interesting thing is this, though. You know, for a moment, that's all I could think about. But the point is this. Isn't it amazing how the words of man can quickly cloud out the words of God? Yeah. It didn't take much. It was just, they weren't even talking to me. <laughs> it wasn't even any of my business. But I took it in, and then I did something with it. I planted it for a bit. Now, you'd be, you'd be glad to know, I didn't buy a BMW. And also, it's not wrong to have a BMW. If you've got one here going, John, are you saying I need to sell my BMW? No, I'm not saying that. It's not wrong to have a BMW or a Merc or anything like that. But what I'm saying is this. Is it there for the right reasons? That's all. Are we understanding that we're stewards of it? You see, in that moment, my heart was, if I get that BMW 3 Series, I'll be just like them. I'd be like them. You know, I, 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 wonder how, I, I had a discontentment in my heart, but the word of God reminds me that I can be content yeah. with what God has given me. And at the time, it was a Fiat Punto, but amen, I was content with it. <laughs> at some level, I had to dig deep. <laughs> but I was content. That's right. But isn't it interesting how these things can just come in and start to grow? So you cannot serve two masters. When we're trying to pursue things, as I said, not all things are bad, but we cannot pursue money. Can't, we can't have a, a master which is money or wealth or possessions. It's God who has to be the center of our heart. Now, he might give you some of these things in the process. That's absolutely fine. But where is our heart? What is the condition of our heart? I'm also aware that part of the pleasures of life that entice us is things that happen in the world which are accepted, like 
the desire to have sex outside of marriage. Like to do what other people do and say, well, if people sleep around, then, then I, well, might as well I could do it as well. I know, I'm, I, know I follow Jesus, but, but actually that's, that's what other people do. It's okay, you know. I, I can do what others do. To do what the world would allow us. You know, Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 5 says this. It says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know, Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage said this. He said, filthy lusts must be rooted out. These things are so far from being profitable, they pollute and poison the hearers. Wow. See, friends, (laughs) I share this because this is about maturity. We're in a season of maturity and multiplication. And what does that mean? God calls us to a better standard. A kingdom standard, not based on works, but because of what he's done for us in Christ, we live our lives as holy ones, as that scripture says. Mm. And therefore, we don't compromise. We don't crowd out our heart with different things and go, well, if the world does it, I want to do it. No, no, we say, no, this is not something that I'm going to compromise on because I want a mature heart after the king. I want to be mature. I want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. They're together. It means it's, it's a part of the kingdom. I want to live righteous before God. Anyone with me on that one? See, we don't live by the world's standards, but by God's standard, his kingdom ways. Therefore, we have to root out these things out of our heart. And we looked at the soil that spoils the harvest, but let's look at the soil that is good and fertile, which represents a yielded heart. A yielded heart. See, this speaks of a heart that is open, and receives the word of God. And with the seed, it bears incredible fruit. So this is the soil we want to be, isn't it, church? Yeah. This is the one we're going after. The yeah. one that is yielded to the ways of the king. The one that is open to his word to do its work in us. To nurture a kingdom heart. And to do that, if we're going to nurture a kingdom heart, I think it's going to need two things from us. Let me just uh, say these two things briefly. Firstly, it's going to mean us to retain and remain. Mm -hmm. To retain and remain. You know, the original Greek for the word retain, when Jesus talks about the one that produces a harvest is the one that retains the word, the original uh, meaning of that word retain, it means cling. It's the one that clings to the word. When when you receive the word, it doesn't bounce off or it doesn't have a mixed response. You cling to the word. You say, I want your word, Lord. My heart is open. David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, these people, they let God's word go deep. They let it take root. They meditate on it. They don't let the enemy snatch it. They cling to it and they guard it because they know they need it. They give it a place of priority. They seek revelation and understanding to know what does this word mean for my life? How can I apply it to my life? Basically, it's a teachable heart. A heart that wants to receive God's ways. But to take that a step further, we also need to remain. And I'm going to read this passage from John 15, verses 5 to 8. This is what Jesus said. 
He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And quite simply, I'll just try, I'll quite define that for us a little bit. Your fruitfulness depends on your faithfulness. Your fruitfulness depends on your faithfulness. The more you faithfully keep coming back to Jesus and his words, the more fruitful of a disciple that you will be. Where you say, Lord, I've received your word, but I want more of your word. I keep coming back. It's a heart that remains. It's a heart that stays. It perseveres. It doesn't run at the first sign of trouble. Actually, it says, God, give me your word. I'm in trouble. God, I need your word. Your word will get me through this. Your word will help me get through this. The preaching of the word. I need to hear your preaching of the word today. I need to meditate on your word. I need to uh, have a devotional life, which every day I'm getting the word of God in me. It remains. It's consistent. It keeps close to Jesus. But also, part of remaining isn't just to be close, and it is that. It's about us having a relationship with Jesus through his word and prayer. But remaining, again, is about obeying. To remain in, in Jesus, you have to obey. I'll just read the next part of that passage, John 15, verses 10 to 11. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wow. And there's this idea that, I can I invite the band up please, thank you. That when we remain, yes it's being close to Jesus, but you cannot truly remain unless you obey Jesus. Yeah. Unless you're obeying his teaching, obeying his word. But get this. We think sometimes that obedience is all about, oh, I've got to do what I've got to do, or I've got to pick up the cars, etc. But actually, when we obey Jesus, he brings us joy. Yeah. Yes. That's the that's a fruit of obeying, is that it is joyous. You know, when you're living in the will and purpose of God and you're living under his commands and you know you're obeying him, it is a joy, church. Yeah. It's an absolute joy. It isn't, it, it isn't a burden. It's a joy because mm. Jesus frees us. He frees us from the power of sin, but then through that, he teaches us, even through the power of his Holy Spirit as well, how to live to help us obey his word. See, obeying is so important to remaining. See, a kingdom heart hears the word, but obeys it. It's a yielded heart. And then, when that happens, when we do that, I believe we will see fruit in our lives. We will bear fruit for the kingdom. You know, I believe that when we bear fruit, what does it mean? It means that outwardly, people can be attracted. <laughs> when we live by Jesus' commands, you see, fruit Mark Beswick said this to me this week, and I thought it was really interesting. We bear fruit not for us to eat. Have you ever seen a, a fruit that bears fruit then eats it? It doesn't do that. We bear fruit so that others can enjoy, yeah? And when we bear fruit, when we're, when we're remaining in Christ, when we're retaining his word and bearing fruit, I believe when we're obeying him as best as we can, people will be drawn to Jesus. Yeah. That's the fruit. And Luke's gospel is quite interesting because it's very, Luke's gospel is, um, it has many themes, but a key theme in it is salvation. 
And I believe that when, or, or should I hazard a guess, should I say? I'd hazard a guess that when he talks about bearing fruit, it's about us bearing fruit for the gospel. That when we obey Jesus, his commands to go make disciples and to love others, we will see people come to know Jesus. And in this season of multiplication, I don't know about you, but I'm up for that challenge. Yeah. I'm up for taking on the, the commands of Jesus and say, Lord, let me reach people for you. Let me not just bear fruit for the sake of doing it for myself, even though that is great as well, but actually I want to bear fruit so that other people can receive this seed. That depends on the type of fruit or crop we're talking about, but it's generally in fruit. There's a seed in there, and if people enjoy it, they're left with the seed. And the idea is that what happens is that when people interact with us, when we go out empowered by the Holy Spirit, sharing Jesus, being a light in our community, they'll eat this fruit that maybe they'll ask, what is this seed? What is it that has made me realize that this person has something that maybe I need? Why are they serving me? Why do they act the way they do? Because we obey Jesus' commands and other people are drawn in. There's a multiplication that can be received. But we have a choice, church. What are we gonna do? You know, even if you're here today and you're saying, oh, uh, my heart is the good soil. Well, great. Because the other gospel accounts of this parable say, you can reap a harvest 30, 60, or 100. Maybe you're at six. Well, guess what? There's more harvest to come. So we can't just say, well, I'm the good soil and that's it. No, God wants you to be really, really fruitful. He wants you to yield a crop for the gospel. He wants you to, to be who he's called you to be, to bear fruit and to see people impacted by the message when you obey Jesus and his commands. I believe that we will bear a fruit that is beyond anything we could have ever imagined. And as we respond today, you know, there are some things that have been said and maybe you've been challenged in different ways. But quite simply, I'm gonna get us to just all stand together. And I'm just gonna ask you to take a moment. This is a part, this is a, a moment for you to search your heart. might want to do something to do that you might want to put out your hands to God and go Lord you've spoken to me today about the condition of my heart and today I want to I want a heart that is seeking first your kingdom maybe there's some things in there that you've noticed and gone you know what this is what's taking my attention this is distracting me from it well why, why not now just open your heart to God and say God I want to be the good soil that receives your word I want to rid myself of these other things that cloud me and blind me but I want a heart that is open to you, Lord. You know, you might just want to now just say to Lord, to the Lord. You might even want to repent and say, God, I repent of the heart that I've had. But Lord, I want a heart that has good soil, that will reap a harvest, that will be fruitful for you, that will be fruitful for your gospel. Lord, I thank you that today you've reminded us, Lord, that you want us to have a heart that seeks first your kingdom to nurture a kingdom heart, Lord. And I pray today for all of us, as we come, Lord, to your word, Lord, I pray that your word would be met open and received well. Lord, where some of us today have come and maybe our hearts have been hardened or rocky or there are thorns, Lord. Lord, I thank you that today we can make a choice and say, Lord, I don't want that, but I choose a heart that is good and noble, a heart that is yielded to the king because I wanna bring your kingdom. So Lord, we come today and we confess whatever we need to confess. We say, Lord, give me a heart that runs hard after you, that 
prioritizes your word, that when your word comes in, I will not just receive it, but I'll cling to it. And then when I cling to it, Lord, I will remain in it and I will obey it and I will see fruit come through my life for the glory and honor of your name. So I pray, Lord, help us as we search our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, guide us. Give us your grace in this moment in Jesus' name.